I want to ask if you've ever had to hang out with someone who you know does not like you. Has that ever happened? Right, you have, like, you know there's bad blood between the two of you. I don't know, there's some conflict or history or something went wrong or some disappointment. And now you're stuck at the wedding at the same table with them. Or you're like, you're stuck working with them at the office. Or like, you're stuck with them at the party. And even though everyone's being polite and there's all these fake smiles, you just know this person really doesn't like me. How many of you know it is super awkward to hang around with people that you know does not like you? Or maybe you've also had that experience where you're around someone who just it constantly feels like they're judging you. And like everything you do is not good enough. And like you just feel like criticized by them. Like they're judging the way you look and what you wear and how you parent and how you treat people and how you handle like money and what, what, what you own. And you just feel like judged by these people. Well, I want to say if you've ever had that experience and you would know this to be true. You would know that when people are around you who you know don't like you or are judging you, you go out of your way to avoid those people, right? Like these are not the people that you invite to go camping for the weekend. Like these are not the guys you invite to your kid's birthday party. Like these are not the people that you're inviting to your house for supper or a braai. When you know someone doesn't like you or you think they're judging you, you actively, you actively try avoid them. You try to stay out of their presence and out of their way. And so, so here's what I want to ask today. What happens when you believe those two things about God? Well, what happens when you're not sure if God really likes you? If you're like, oh, I don't know, dude, I think I irritate him. I think he's super frustrated with me. I I think he's so disappointed with me, like God is angry with me. Well, like what happens when in your belief, you believe that God, he's like super judgmental about how you live. And he's like super judgmental about the decisions you're making. And he's super critical about everything. What happens when, when those two things come into your relationship with God? Well, the exact same thing happens as what happens with all those other people. You'll actively try and avoid him. And so he has a truth that I want to base this message off, and it's this. What you believe God thinks about you will affect your level of intimacy. What you believe God feels towards you, that will affect how close you and God are, how often you seek him out, how often you enjoy his presence, how often you want to be close to him. Because if you believe and he doesn't really like you, if you believe he's judging you all the time, you're going to actively try avoid his presence. This belief is so critical to our faith and our intimacy with God. And we've got to get it right because church, listen, if I was your enemy and I wanted to mess up your relationship with God, this is one thing I would definitely attack. I would want you to believe that God is angry with you all the time. I would want you to believe that God is constantly disappointed with you and judging every move you make in order to get you to avoid him. Naturally, you're going to avoid him. No one likes to be in the presence of that kind of atmosphere. And so today, I want to try and counteract the voice of the enemy. I want to try and counteract your own self-doubt. And I want us to look at what does God really say about you? 
Like, how does God really see you? Like, what's his actual view of you? Hopefully, we can get a more biblical, correct view of how God sees us. Are you ready? Look at someone and say, get ready. So how does God see you? Well, one of the major themes in all of Scripture is this. God wants a relationship with you even more than you want one with him. One of the major themes of this Bible is that God loves you even more than you could love Him. And and one of the problems with this statement is that we've heard it so many times. God loves you. Like, Like we've heard it in a thousand messages. It's a theme of half the songs we sing. Like we've seen it on bumper stickers on cars and on Facebook posts. And so we hear these words, God loves you, and it doesn't really have much impact for us, right? I mean... I grew up on a series called Touch by an Angel. I think I was a bit addicted to it. Anyone else watch Touch by an Angel? Can we give Touch by an Angel a hand this morning? Yeah, it's so cool. But when I hear the words, God loves you, what I picture is the lights going dim and the spotlight shining on, on, on Roma Downey, right? And then she says with her Irish accent, God loves you. You know, it's like, That's what I picture when I hear these words, God loves you, because it's something that in our culture and in Christianity and for sure in church, we've heard these words again and again and again. And so in a way, they've lost their impact. We no longer kind of pay attention to that phrase. It doesn't seem new to us. We no longer stop and just examine it and understand it, which is exactly what I want to do today. Can we just stop on that phrase for a moment and just try to examine this phrase that God loves me? God Loves me, like what does that mean exactly? And how deep is this love exactly? How far does it go? Like what kind of love is this? Can we just stop for a moment and examine this love that God has for us? And I think as we do, we're going to see that the love that God has for us is pretty profound. For example, (laughs) Scripture teaches us that you are on God's mind. You're on His thoughts. And this is a great thing. It's a great sign. Because you guys will know, when all you single people, right? Can all the single people in the church go, hey, some free advertising for you. <clears throat> but when you're starting to like notice someone, like when you're starting to like get interested in them, you're crushing on them. What, what's one of the signs that you're starting to fall in love? Is that they're always on your mind, right? Like you just... It's like they hijack your thoughts. It's like you go on social media and you don't care who liked your post. You're just seeing if they liked your post. Like you open WhatsApp, you don't really care who's messaged you. You're just wondering, did they message me? Right? It's like you're thinking about them and you're falling asleep and then you're dreaming about them and then you're waking up thinking about them. It's like when, when, when you're starting to love someone, they hijack your thinking. They're always on your mind. And, and, and this is a beautiful revelation that, that David has in his relationship with God in Psalm 139. David says in verse 17, God, how precious are your thoughts about me? God, they cannot be numbered. I, I can't even count them. They outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake up, you are still with me. Scripture says that God is thinking about you. Look at someone and say, God thinks about me. And guys, he doesn't just kind of think about you every now and again. You, you're constantly on his mind. David would tell us that, that, that the amount of thoughts God has towards you outnumbers the grains of sand on earth. Now, something I love to do when we go down to the coast, I love to sit on the beach 
and just take hands full of sand and just let it run through my finger. And I, and I, I love to just meditate on this. God loves me more than the grains of sand. On all the beaches of the world, and all the ocean floors, and all the deserts in the world, and all the golf courses in the world. Like God loves me more than all these grains. Like he, he thinks about me more than all these grains of sand on the earth. It is a number too big for you to comprehend. And that is how often you are on the mind of God. He's thinking about you. In fact, he values you more than all the wealth on earth. You are valuable to God, so valuable. Jesus famously said these words in the book of Matthew, chapter 16. He says in verse 26, And what, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? He says, Is anything worth more? Is anything worth more than your soul? There's nothing. Church, there's nothing. All the wealth, even if you gain the world, Jesus is saying that's not, that, that has nothing compared to the wealth of your soul, the value of your soul. And you just like, just sit on that truth for a moment. Don't rush past that. Sit on that and think all those multi-million dollar mansions and yachts and cars and houses, all the, all the fine jewelry and, and the diamonds and the precious stones, all those bank vaults filled with gold, all, all the property and possessions that belong to the 7 billion people we share earth with. If I could take all of this, all the money in the world, the, the trillions and trillions of dollars that there would be, God says, I am worth more than that. My soul, just me, my soul is worth more than the, than the value of this earth. And, and I know in society, we don't treat lives like this. There's many who would take a life just for a cell phone and a wallet. But not God. He values your life. It's valuable to Him. It's worth more than the gold and the treasures of this entire world. You are valuable. Look at someone and say, I'm valuable. One of the places we see this really lived out is in the ministry of Jesus. <clears throat> and we don't just see this once or twice, like consistently in the ministry of Jesus, we see him show us that life is valuable. People matter to him. One of the places I love, and I don't know if you've seen this before, is in this interaction Jesus has in Mark 5. We're going to find Jesus in Mark 4. He's had a whole day of ministry and he's tired. One of the things I love about the Bible is it doesn't hold back on the humanity of Jesus. Like it tells us when he's tired or a little bit angry or a little bit hungry. And so here we find Jesus tired and we see at the end of Mark chapter 4, he says to his disciples in, in verse 35, as the evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of this lake. And then if we continue reading in Mark 4, we find out that Jesus almost immediately falls asleep in the boat. He is done. He is bushed. Right, so here he is, falling asleep. He's so tired that even when, when the storm comes, and the storm is raging, and these disciples, many, by the way, who were professional fishermen, they got scared. That's how bad the storm was. These guys who grew up on boats, like they, they're scared of the storm, but Jesus, he's so tired, he's still sleeping. They literally have to wake him up and say, Jesus, we're about to die here. Like, can you wake up? And so they wake Jesus up and he just speaks to the wind and the waves and he does his Jesus thing and he calms the storm, right? And so then they get to the other side of the lake and they end up at a place called uh, uh, Gerasenes. And in Mark 5, it says, then Jesus climbed out of the boat and a man possessed by an evil spirit came out from the tombs to meet him. 
This man lived in a burial cave and could no longer be restrained, even with a chain. Whenever it was put into chains or shackles, as he often was, he snapped the chains with his wrists and he smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Day and night, he wandered amongst the burial caves and the hills, howling and cutting himself with sharp stones. Okay, it's fair to say he's not exactly the most popular guy in town, right? I mean, he's running around, he's, he's <clears throat> violent, he's cutting himself, he's howling at the moon. I mean, if this guy was alive today, he would have been like caught and, and drugged and institutionalized and restrained. This is someone who we would say is the lowest of the low, like outcast of society, doesn't really matter. Maybe it would be better if he didn't even like exist. Maybe it would be better for his life just to end. It's just such a mess. No one wants to be around him. Just totally rejected by mankind, living in the caves. He meets Jesus. What does Jesus do? Sets him free. He famously sends all these demons in him to the pigs. Remember that story? This is where it's happening. What does Jesus do the moment he casts the demons out of this guy? He's just got off the boat. This like madman runs to him. He sets him free. And I love what happens next in Mark 5, 21. It says, then Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where a large crowd gathered around him on shore. And you got to be like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. What just happened here? So you're telling me that after a long day of ministry, Jesus exhausted he was willing to get in a boat late at night, face a storm, just to get to the other side and set a man free whose society had cast aside and given up on, only to get back into the boat straight away and go back to the other side of shore. You're telling me that Jesus saw this much value in this person who everyone else had rejected, who everyone else had cast aside. Jesus saw so much value in this man. He was willing in his exhaustion to get on a boat, inconvenience himself, and face a storm just to come back. Are you telling me that? Absolutely. Do you see the value? The value that Jesus puts in a life and church, he faced more than a storm for you. He faced the cross. For you, he was rejected, beaten, tortured, falsely accused, put on trial, and died. Why? Because you are valuable to him. Your life has value. You were worth it to him. And now everyone who comes into his family, he calls us his treasure. You're his treasure. The father says you are the apple of his eye. It says he rejoices over you, man. Many of you will know this verse from Zephaniah 3.17. It was a theme verse for our latest in our worship single. It says these words. It's so life-giving. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. You inspire God to sing. You bring that joy out of God. Like he, he looks at you like, if you can picture the, the face of God looking towards you, what do you picture? Because the scripture tells us when God looks at you, he starts this, you bring joy to his heart. The, the inventor of song uses it on you. Like he sings over you. 
And he cares about the, just the crazy detail of your life. And maybe you've been in that place, I'm sure we've all had that thought before, where, where I've got something small, a little niggle in my life, just a bit of an irritation, and I'm like, ah, I don't know if I should bring this to God, because it's just such a small thing, and you know, God's got the whole world to worry about, like there's wars, and there's famine, and floods, and like all the climate stuff, and like, ah, I'm not sure I should bring my little thing to Him, and yet, He's crazy concerned about the details of your life. I mean, just look at the kind of detail he cares about in Luke 12, verse 7. It says, indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Listen, church, I have loved a lot of people in my life, but I've never loved someone enough to go and count their hairs. I've never been like, hey, honey, come over here. Just one, two, three. I just want to... I just want to know every detail. Like, but God, this is how much he cares. Crazy detail. Do you see that the love of God is just on this whole other level? Crazy detail about your life. Guys, it goes even further. In the book of Psalms, we're told that, that when you cry, it tells us that God bottles our tears. In another place in Psalms, it tells us that he records our tears in a journal. And then in Revelations, it tells us that God will turn all our tears into rejoicing. You know what that tells me? Men, you better get crying. Hey, like all you guys that haven't cried in a while. Get out of tears. It's going to be rejoicing in heaven. Right? This is crazy detail. The kind of love and concern and depth of love that God has for you, that as He creates you, He calls you masterpiece. You're a masterpiece to Him. He says, You're fearfully and you're so wonderfully made. And I know you might look in the mirror and be like, Oh, oh, might have changed that, don't really like that. Oh, when did that happen? Right? Like, but not God, when He looks at you, He's masterpiece, oh, masterpiece, masterpiece. Can you look at someone and say, I'm a masterpiece? You know, John 3.16 is a pretty big verse in Christianity. Many have said it's the entire gospel summed up in a line. And it starts with these words, for God so loved. Theologians and teachers and philosophers, they call this the law of the first order. That God loved first. He chose first. He loved first. You didn't love him first. He loved you first. You know what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, for the world so loved God that he gave them his only begotten son. No, no, no. And yet how often do we live like it says that? Like if only I can just show my devotion to God, then he will bless me. If only I can just show him I'm a good boy, I'm a good girl, I follow the rules, then he will bless me. But instead it says, for God so loved the world. And he so loved, he didn't just kind of love, he so loved the world, he so loved the world, and he didn't just love the good people because then there would be no one to love. Because no one is good apart from Jesus. No one is righteous apart from Jesus, which means he so loves you, so loved you, that he was willing to give what was most valuable to him. 
So here's what I want you to do the next time you doubt the love of God. Maybe this is something you've struggled to comprehend or really understand, like in the deepest part of your identity. If you've ever struggled to fully understand the love of God, I want you to write down this question, and the next time you doubt God's love, ask yourself this question. Here it is. How much does God love Jesus? Can you think about that for a moment? How much does he love Jesus? Do you think when, when, you know, Jesus walks into the throne room in heaven, God's like, oh, not this guy again. Really? Right? No, 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 this is his, his beloved. He's the lamb of God. It's a son. And then scripture blows us away, church, and he tells us that God loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Now, before you throw tomatoes at me and accuse me of heresy, this is something that Jesus himself reveals to us. Listen to the, these words in John 17, verse 23. It says, I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. You are as loved by God as God loves Jesus. You know, the first time that became like a revelation to me, I remember I was in my year of your life in my gap year program in our Bible school classes. And uh, I was a kid who, like many of you, I, I suffered from rejection. Man, my dad walked out on us when I was nine, and so I just never felt really good enough. I never felt like people liked me. I just felt like I just irritated everyone. I had very low self-worth. I struggled to look people in the eye. And this was this idea that was like, oh, man, I'm just not really, I'm not easy to love. I'm not worthy of love. I remember reading this idea because I had mad respect for Jesus, and I loved Jesus, and I thought Jesus was just incredible, like the Son of God. And then I read that I am loved like Jesus is loved. Church, it confused me like crazy. Like, how can I be loved like Jesus is loved? Because I know me. And you might have a glossy version of me, but I know the real me. Like, I know the flaws and the cracks and the personality things and the stuff that's broken in me. And then I know that God knows more than I know about myself. Like, he really knows how messed up I am. And yet, like, he loves me like he loves Jesus. What? Why? Like, when I think about that, all I can do is like, why? God, why would you do that? So my, my heart starts to echo the heart of David. As David starts to understand the love of God, he starts asking this question, God, in Psalm 8 verse 4, like, what? What are these mere mortals that you should think about then? Like, what, what are human beings? God, what are human beings that you should care for them? Psalms 8 verse 4. God, what am I that you would think about me? What am I that you would see such worth in me? I think the only natural reaction to understanding that we are loved like Jesus is loved is like gratitude. And I don't know if we'll ever know why, but we are. You are loved by God. You're valuable to God. He loves you with a love that cannot be earned. He loves you with a love you don't deserve. 
And he does not love you based on your good behavior. He just loves you because he made you and you're his masterpiece. And he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you with a love that doesn't run out, doesn't give up, will never leave you. It's a love that is unconditional. And you know why it's hard for us to understand this? Because all of our love in all of our relationships is actually conditional. Every human relationship we have is conditional. You do your part, I'll do my part. Right? Like you remain faithful to me, I'll remain faithful to you. You're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. You're kind to me, I'll be kind to you. You're committed to me, I'll be committed to you. Like you do your part, I'll do my part. And if you do your part and I do my part, we'll have a successful, good relationship. And of course, you're not going to like hurt me too much. Of course, you're not going to cost me my job or offend my kids. Uh, of course, you're not going to like hurt my mental health. Of course, you're not going to do that. But if you do that too much, like if you hurt me too much or lie too much or steal too much, or like if you drop your side, I'm out. I'm done. Like if you don't hold up your end of the bargain, I'm done. And so what we create is this boundary around all our relationships where we think, well, I'll love you as long as you stay within the boundary. You know, something I love to do with premarital couples. Any of you thinking of doing premarital counseling through this church? Here's a bit of a preview of one of the things we do. When we have a couple that's coming for premarital, one of the questions we ask them is, first of all, do you love each other? And they're always like, yeah, we love each other. We're like, well, is there anything that would make you not love each other? Make you stop loving? And they're like, no, we're in. This is my part of her life. I'll never stop loving them. And then I'm like, cool. Well, let me just like paint some scenarios here. So, so how would you feel if he walked in one day and he shot your parents in front of you? Hmm. How, how would you react if you found out that he's been sexually molesting your kids for five years? How would you feel if she like became a raging alcoholic who beat you up every night and disappeared for days and you never knew where she was? Like, hmm. See, what we do is we create this boundary where we start to think, of course they won't do that. And I'll love you as long as you stay within this boundary because, of course, you'll never do that. You'll never be that guy. He has a beauty of God's love. It has no boundary. He doesn't love us within a boundary. His love for us is unconditional. It's not based on you and your character. It's based on him and his character. He is love. There is no condition on God's love for you. There is nothing you can do to make him love you less. There's nothing you can do to make him love you more. You have the full love of God as you are seated here right now. God loves you in his fullness. He can't love you more. Now, it's good to add a disclaimer to that, right? That doesn't mean he approves of everything we do. We can just do what we want and God, we've got God's approval. No, we have his love. Right, I mean, I can be angry with my kids' behavior, and I can ask them to change their behavior, and I can discipline them, but it doesn't affect my love for them. My love remains constant. You have the full love of God. He loves you 
just as you are. Let's read these beautiful words in the book of Romans, chapter 8. It says in verse 35, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No. Despite all of these things, overwhelmingly victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears about today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above, in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This is a love that will never leave you. Never leave you. For some of you, you need to really understand that because maybe your dad left you or your mom left you, or your best friend left you, or your kids left you, or your teacher left you. I don't know who might have left you, but God will never leave you. This is a love that will never abandon you, never forsake you, never be separated from you. You have the full love of God. And unless we understand that, and not just understand it, but accept it, that we are loved, I am loved. Unless we understand it, church. You know what we do when we don't understand we're loved by God? We expect the people around us to fill that void. And we become desperate for love. Desperate. And so we're pulling from the people around us, right? We, we have husbands and fathers who are pulling love from their wives and their kids and their friends. We have wives and mothers we're pulling love. I just, I need you to make me feel good. I need you to make me feel loved. We, we have children pulling love from their, their parents and, and any friend who will pay them attention. And so we, we have all these people just pulling love from each other, just wanting to feel loved. And the problem with that is there is no person who can love you in that way. There's no person who can satisfy that deep desire. Only God can. And so we have people who are dissatisfied with every relationship saying, will you just love me more and speak to me more and touch me more and smile more and encourage me more? You're not doing enough. But no one can do enough because only God is enough. Only his love can truly fill you. And it doesn't just fill you. It fills your life. It overflows in you so that you can now love others the way they need to be loved. But we can only do that when we fully accept the love of God. When you fully believe to the core of your soul that I am loved just as I am. God loves me. He loves you. He loves you. And when you believe that you are loved, you don't need it from people. You're able, instead of pulling from them, to give love to them. I can love you and love you even when you mess up. Even when you don't hold up to your end of the deal, I can love you because I know I'm loved. You know, in the beginning, I asked how much you avoid people who don't like you or judge you. I want to say the opposite of that's also true, isn't it? When you know someone likes you, when you know they enjoy your presence, when you know they got your back and they're for you and not against you, well, now the opposite happens. You seek them out. You love spending time with them. You love being in their presence because they are for you. And when you believe God 
loves you and he's for you and he's not against you. You seek him out quiet time every day. It's a blessing. Being in church with God's people, it's hard to miss this. It's hard to miss circle groups, right? Because now I get to be with people who love God, like I love God, and we get experiences love together. Like when you start to understand who God is and how he sees you, you're so attracted to his presence. And so today, here's what I want to ask you. Do you believe God loves you? Like fully he fully loves you. Every part of you, like he just loves you. And it's a love that will never run out and never give up. It's not going anywhere. Nothing can separate it. You didn't earn this love. It's, it's a gift. You have it already. He loves you. It's a done deal. He loves you. You are a loved human being. You are a loved person. No matter what people have rejected you and left you, God never will. He loves you. You're loved. Maybe we need to do what John did. <laughs> You know, John in the Bible, I love reading the book of John because John nicknames himself the beloved disciple, you know? Like he calls himself, I'm the one that God loves. Maybe we need to do that. Should we do that? Rename ourselves. I'm the, I'm the one God loves. I think we need to wake up in the morning and say, hey God, it's me. The one you love. Right, we've got a need at lunchtime. Oh God, it's me. The one you love. My back's a bit sore, but you love me. So I know you got this, Lord, right? Go to sleep at night. Hey, God, it's me. It's the one you love. Got to have this need, but I know you love me. Oh, man, I just, I'm securing it. It's my identity. I'm child of God. No one can take it away. No one can touch that. God, it's me. It's me. <laughs> the one you love. Isn't it a joy to be in the presence of God when you know how much he loves you? And church, he loves you that much. You are loved. Look at someone and say, God loves you. Can I pray for you? Can you close your eyes? God, I thank you for a room full of people you love. A room full of your masterpiece. God, there's not a single person here you do not love deeply and fully and unconditionally. God, I thank you that your love for us knows no bounds. It has no boundary. It has no limit. Your love for us will never give up on us. Never push us away. Your love for us is constant and strong. God, I pray that today you would give us a fresh revelation. Give us a new revelation of this phrase we've heard a thousand times. Do you love us? And God, as we realize you love us, all we can do is say thank you. We don't know why. And we know we don't deserve it. But wow, we're grateful, Lord. Wherever you are right now, can you just say in your own way, just thank God for his love. Thank you for your love, Lord. God, I feel there's people in this room so desperate for love. They're so scared of rejection, Lord. They're so quick to anger. They feel like no one's good enough and nothing's good enough. God, fill them with your love. 
break down those strongholds, that lack of self-worth that come against it in the name of Jesus Christ. Crumble today, break today. Show us, God, that we are masterpiece and we are valuable and your love will never leave us. And it's not based on performance, Lord. It's based on who you are. You love us, God. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your love.